Hi, Broadway people. We are back for another week of Broadway Breakdown here on Popcorn Talk Network. This week we are talking in the King and I film discussion, so stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Broadway Breakdown. Whenever I feel afraid... Just going along with this. There's like not enough whistling in the song to me. I know they whistle at the end, right? And that's kind of it. I feel like it's because the actors can't whistle. That was Ben Bateman. Hey, Ben, what's going on? I'm just kidding. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our show, Broadway Breakdown. This week, like I said, we're discussing King and I, the film. Last week, we discussed the theater discussion. Um, and me and Jackie both had not watched this film since we were children, so yes. we both got a redo in it. Yeah, it was we got we both had um, different thoughts looking at it as adults. I mean, I had seen the the touring cast, and um, because this was made in the fifties, there are some things left in that I think it, it seems like they kind of edited out the mm-hmm. touring cast but as an adult like I can remember thinking their relationship was so romantic and you're looking at it now or as a kid I thought their relationship was so romantic and then you're looking at it as an adult <laughs> and you're like he's saying some really sexist things to her and then they start dancing yeah and they don't really have much of a romance most of it's just her yelling at him or him yelling at her it's a very yes. unhealthy relationship because both of them feel they're the right ones I feel like there are you know, romantic undertones in place, like when he hands her the ring and that moment when she gets really breathless when they're dancing. But still, you're like, he says some things to her that are just not... I mean, and of course, it's the time period, too, you know, but you're, as as a modern woman, you're like, that wasn't cool. That wasn't cool. <laughs> well, we're going to get all into all that. Before we do that, let me introduce myself. I am Brianna Phipps. I will be your host today, and you can find me at bphipps14 on Twitter and Instagram, uh, bphipps1214 on Snapchat. And I'm joined by the lovely Jackie. I'm 123JackieB on all platforms, except for Snapchat, where I'm JackieB123. Um, and we, of course, have our great, lovely musical goddess in the booth with us today, Alexis Torres. Where can they find you? What up? You can find me all over social media at atorres890. Um... So like I said, this was my first time watching this film, and I I truly didn't remember most of it, because I remember being young and just not wanting to watch it. Like, my mom would put it on, and I was like, this is boring. Why are we watching this? Yeah, you and I were saying that we felt like this was, this movie was so long when we were kids. It's only, like, two hours and 15 minutes. I mean, that is long. Like, let's not fool ourselves. Two hours is a long film. But it's shorter than The Sound of Music, which we didn't think was that long as kids. So, you know, and growing up and watching it now, I did definitely have different takeaways, and I did enjoy the film more as an adult than I did as a child. I think as as an adult, you're able to comprehend the politics that are happening, whereas you're a kid... When you're able to understand more of what's going on, even yeah. just when he's talking or she's talking about these different things. Like, as a kid, like, you don't understand, like, I don't understand why he has multiple wives. I don't understand why he's saying this or why he would act like that. Or right, or I don't understand that. why the British people are being mean to him. It's yeah. like you, you, there's there are things that sadly you learn as an adult that make this, you know. Yeah, it's like as a is. kid, you're like, I don't know, understand why she wouldn't want to live in the palace or right, like stuff like that. Like even like I was, it made so much more sense now than it right. did then. I was like, you get to live in a palace, lady. Like, why are you complaining? Yeah, but no. I also do find it interesting that they don't, and then 
do they do it in the musical? Do they mention her daughter at all? Or is her daughter not mentioned in the musical either? Is not it just that her I can recall, no. Yeah, they kind of just... Because in the real life, she had a daughter. She just stayed back in England. But they just kind of... I feel I it's part of the play slash movie magic. I did read, though, that... I think um, it would have been nice, though, to have that, like, you know, she's in this new country and she's learning these new customs and this new way of doing things. And also, like, having that heartache of not having your child with you. I think that would have added a little bit to it. I think they try to do that with the... Um, both the scene with her about her where she sings about her husband and then also the scene where she's meeting with the the British guy that she knew before from England. Um, I think they try to show that like sort of homesickness with Mm -hmm. that juxtaposition. Deborah uh, Kerr played the role of Anna in this film Um, and she wasn't originally considered for the role. It was originally considered for Dinah Shore and then it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Maureen O'Hara was originally casted, but um, Richard Rodgers didn't like that casting. And so uh, Yul Brenner was the one that actually got Deborah Kerr cast. And it's just a little bit like, you know, it's like a, we always talk about them casting people that can't sing, and we're going to get into that later. But both of these other actresses could sing right. and were known to sing. Right, and Deborah Kerr has a singing double, which is interesting to me because they the same woman, uh, Marty Noxon, who... Marnie Noxon, not Marty Noxon, who wrote for Buffy. Um, <laughs> Marnie Noxon, who was her voice double for this, was also her voice to, double for An Affair to Remember. Yeah. So, I, again, you know, it's I like, why paid. are you choosing people who can't sing? But whatever. It all goes back to that, like, you know, back then they, like, had that star vehicle and we need to put right, the star right. in. It's but... the Hollywood magic. It's the casting Audrey Hepburn in a role where she can't sing. You know? Yeah, it happened so much back then. Although I will say, like, in a perfect world, I want someone to be cast that can sing. But if I had only the choice of someone that couldn't sing and having someone that couldn't sing and have a voice over person, I'd rather have the voice over person because nowadays when they don't do that and they just still hire the people that can't sing. Are you thinking of Pierce Brosnan again? I am. Because I think we all are. I think we're all thinking of Pierce Brosnan. As, as we well love you, as Pierce others Brosnan. That, you know, Your maybe... face is handsome. Your singing voice, not You were so amazing as James Bond. <laughs> um, and in Mrs. Doubtfire, great work. Just, right? Just maybe... Take a break from the musicals. But even other people that, like, are just okay singers and stuff, like, if we're going to, like, have only that two choices, like, at least just pay someone else a bunch of money and let them sing that and have us hear something nice. Yeah, but I but mean, I feel like Hollywood one. even today is still relying on that star vehicle and it's slowly starting to learn that people just want quality stories and actors who can play the roles rather than just paying money to see a star that's not as much a thing anymore people are like well you know i want to see somebody who looks like this character acts like this character i mean when you look at the new star wars film um not rogue one but the The episode seven yeah the one where they cast daisy ridley and john boyega they were john boyega kind of known but daisy ridley complete unknown Mm -hmm. and um when you have actors like that who just do their job so well that it doesn't even matter and they're part of a big franchise, which I guess helps. 
I mean, and Deborah Kerr did do a good job. She, she by no means didn't do a good job with the acting portrayal of this. It just, it's still like, I, I just don't understand. Like, there's so many talented people that that can sing. Like, why not hire one of them? Right. It's, I mean, it's the old Broadway thing where you you want to see the people who can do those things be awarded yeah. for doing them. Like, I can go up and lip sync right? <laughs> film. You can pay me a bunch of money. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, and this, I mean, it's kind of true in this whole film because we have these people. There's three different people that didn't sing their own roles. Yes. Uh, which I wrote down. We had Rita Moreno, mm-hmm. who um, plays Tup Tim, which that's interesting because she achieved EGOT. Her Tony was for a non-singing role. Mm-hmm. She really is not a singer. But, but was she was also in West Side Story. Also in West Side Story. <laughs> it's really fat because she's a great actress. Phenomenal yes. actress. But it's just fascinating to me that it's like she's not really known as a singer, but then she's been associated with these singing things. And then Luntad wasn't, didn't sing. They had Ruben Fuentes sing for him. Yes. And then, so it's like we have this film where we have all these people, not all these people, but like these three people that are cast that aren't singers with people to sing for them. And then we have all these people cast who aren't Asian and are just trying to pass them for Asian who some of them have, like you you mentioned the one guy has a completely Hispanic accent. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? The guy who played Lanta. Yeah. He, um, his wrote, name is. I wrote it down. Carlos Rios. Rios. Yes. Rias? Carlos Rivas. Rivas. Yeah, he definitely has a Hispanic accent. Well, he was um he's from, from he was Texas. from Texas. His mother was Mexican, his father was German. Um and I don't know like again, I don't know this actor well enough to know if like he he does have an Hispanic accent in general or if like the only accent he could come up with because because of his family was a Hispanic accent, I don't know. But it was very clear to me when you he was singing, I was like or speaking, um not singing, speaking, that I was like <laughs> This guy, like, this accent is a Hispanic accent. It's, I mean, it's not very pronounced, but, like, the way he's pronouncing things is, it's not the same as, like, the as other the actors, yeah. you know? And it, it, that one is one thing that takes me out of film a little bit, is, like, one, we're supposed to be set in this place, but we have all of these different nationalities living in this place, because we have Latin people, we have the Filipino, we have Asian, like, white and then you All had, the I mean, we, we talked about this last week where you have Rodgers and Hammerstein set up this rule where it's like, okay, we're not going to completely mimic uh, a Thai accent, but we're going to set this staccato way of Talking. speaking that um, might read to a Western audience. But it's like, even if you don't have all of the actors doing it, it does kind of remove you mm-hmm. from that. It, it happens all the time in, in other films, like non-musical films, too, and stuff. Oh, my where gosh, they that cast... one, Alexander or whatever it was, where everybody had a different accent. I was like, I don't understand. It's like, I would rather have something like Les Mis, where I know it takes place in France, and obviously they're not, have, right. they don't have French accents, they're not but speaking French. But they're all French, British, and they, that's okay. But yeah, but like, for some reason for me, like, exactly, they're all British, so I was okay with it. Right, right, exactly. at least they all have the same accent. You're like, some of them are Cockney, some of them are high British, but it's fine. They're all British. <laughs> We've accepted this. But like, yeah, when you have oh, we all live in this one same area. We all grew up together, but we all have extremely different accents, but we're all the same like nationality. It's not because we're different nationalities. Then it does kind of take me out of it a little bit right. because I'm like just confused. And it's interesting in this play because they've already explained to you that, um, oh, you know, I, I speak English and this is why because I studied it, or I speak English. You have various characters saying while they're speaking English. 
So we already have this. It's it's not even like the movies nowadays where people are speaking English, but you're like mentally supposed to understand they're all speaking a different language. Mm-hmm. Um, here, it's established that these characters learned English. So it, it's not even that. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It just it was a weird casting choices. So that's all I'll say. Right. Some of the choices. Like, not that they're not good actors, just weird for And not roles. that Yul Brynner isn't super hot. He's just not Asian. Yeah. I mean... Like you said, when that whole scene happened with the whip oh my and the gosh. shirt, you were totally... I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, Yul Brynner is shirtless with a whip, and this is not what I'm supposed to be thinking in this scene, but it's really attractive. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I do want to talk about some of the differences that they have in between the movie and the film, and I know there's not a ton, um, and I know you can speak a little bit more towards the show and what differences they have in the show that they didn't have in the film or that they did have in the film. What did you notice, like, kind of overall? Um, overall, it's pretty faithful, but obviously they cut musical numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, uh, they took out My Lord and Master, The Royal Bangkok Academy, A Puzzlement Reprise, Shall I Tell You What I Think of You, Western People Funny, I Have Dreamed, Hello, Young, Hello Young Lovers Reprise, I Whistle Happy Tune Reprise. So they took out quite a lot of songs. I mean, a lot of them are reprises, but... And there's... You have this scene. I did notice... I mean, I noticed, like, little... Just just little things. And I wonder if that's because, you know, I, I saw a contemporary touring show versus this movie was mm-hmm. from 1956. So there are certain changes that are made. But you really... You get a brief mention in the touring show of her reading the book. And you kind of, like... the. Uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin, and there's not much said about it, and then they do the number, and the point of the number, more so in the touring cast, is is to really cement in your mind that Tup Tim is, like, making the statement that I'm, I don't want to be a slave, you know, mm-hmm. and you're doing this to me. Um, here in the movie, there's also this, like, grandiose statement made about, like, Lincoln and slavery and all this, which uh, she, she still has this, like, letter to Lincoln in the play but there's not really you don't really have as much of that moment with her explaining the book mm-hmm. and I, which she does in the movie she really like explains like this is like Harry Beecher Stowe and blah blah yeah, blah yeah they go very into it and I feel like that's because we understand now and again I said this last week we understand now that there that book while at the time was making a case against slavery we know that it uses harmful stereotypes to make that case. Mm-hmm. And so there's this, I feel like there was this modern drawback to be like, okay, we can't we can't rely on that as much because we don't want to reinforce well, harmful it stereotypes. And it doesn't add or take away, I don't think, to not have it be as described as they do in the film. Like, you still have the play, and the play still gets that yes, point across. Yes, and the play is more, um, when you're watching it, I mean, even here, you know, you you have you have costumes that are not indicative of like of it being like a Western. You don't have them wearing Western dress or mm-hmm. anything like that. But um, I feel like more so in the play, the the whole point that they're drawing is that you know she's being treated like a slave, and she wants to make a statement against that. Mm-hmm. And also, just the whole thing of that you see all these people in this country, and even that are against slavery, but then you see all the people, like even the prince who comes up and says, like, but you say that this law would pass, and what if I don't want it to? Right. And she's like, you know, it's not always about what we want. It's right. about what's right. And right. 
it's hard when you have a society that like that's all they know and they don't view it as like we're doing something wrong to people it's like this is just how life is to try to tell them what you're doing is wrong it's a really hard thing to try to get through because when you've done when that's all you know it is it's like what do you mean it's wrong right right so i mean i think that that i mean the play itself in the movie is beautiful with the costumings and the dancing and i i mean the makeup the I don't know the costumes. I know it won an Academy Award for its costumes, but I, I was not crazy about these really? costumes. And I, I think that's because in, in the fifties and sixties they had this whole thing where it was like we shall add all the colors. And I feel like because it it was this age of like really trying to like wow you, they almost overdid it in a lot of films. Like think about Cleopatra, you know. Yeah, but I still I mean I still really enjoyed all the costumes in this. Like I. I could see what you mean by saying some parts of it are overdone, but I still enjoy looking at them just because of the detail that was put in. Because I feel like people don't do that as much anymore with detail. Mm-hmm. Like people like instead of making costumes for films nowadays, we go and we look and buy pieces and put them together for costuming. I mean, not to say that certain films don't, but just back then there was that more attention, I think. And they did really take their time with stuff to like make it extravagant. For me, I think the thing I responded to in the costumes for the play, again, you can't have these like numerous costume changes that they have in the movie. So you have the king basically wearing like one outfit. I mean, he might wear like a, a little bit of a change when he has the British people coming over, but it's pretty much consistently yeah. one outfit. Um, and they they have these like reds and purples and blues and so it's kept in this same like relative color family that also matches the set and it was something to me very pleasing because everything was in harmony whereas the set here is that like 50s and 60s like jarring like gold it's a palace we have to make it look like a palace so everything is gold and um Everybody is wearing like every fabulous color they've ever seen. So it was a it was a bit much on my eyes because I like the more like harmonious yeah. color schemes. I will say for the costuming that the scene where he says that she has to kneel if he kneels or sit if he sits or oh, down. Yeah. Like, I wanted her to bring up like look at what I'm wearing. It's not oh, as yeah. simple for me to sit down. And they never did. And I was like, ah, why aren't you saying this? That's the whole point of that scene though, because when even when you're watching it as a person, that's what you're thinking when you're looking at her outfit. And it's it's interesting you bring that up because the actress herself lost weight because she was sweating in that dress. And the dresses she wore were like 30 to 40 pounds. And she would get... And they, yeah, they looked heavy. Yeah, she would get bruised when she did those things like lay on the floor and everything because you've got, you've got this like construction around you. And so... It, it was a very burdensome costume. Yeah. And, like, when she sits down and it cupcakes out around her, like, right. it looks really, like, fluffy and, like, I want to sit on that dress, but right. I know that it's very uncomfortable for her yeah. to be sitting down like that. Um, speaking of the costuming winning, though, like, this play, or play, play, movie, was nominated for nine Tony Awards and won five. So it did very well. I mean, Tony, I keep doing Academy this. Awards. It's Academy okay. Academy Awards. It won a lot of Tonys, too. <laughs> it did. You know, they're all awards. They get you get a statue. No. Um but yeah, so it got nominated for nine Academy Awards and won five Academy Awards. Um for Best Actor for Yul Brenner, for Best Art Direction, Costume Design, Music Scoring of a Musical Picture, and Sound Recording. 
And then uh, Deborah Kerr was nominated but yeah. didn't win. I read De- somewhere Deborah that Kerr she had been nominated like a bunch of times but never won. Yeah, for the Golden Globes, I think she was also nominated and for like the Do- Drama Desk Award or something yeah. like that. Um, it was nominated also. No, for, but I mean just in general for oh, Academy in li- Awards. Oh, just in life. Yeah, in life she had. I think she had been nominated for something like six Academy Awards but never won, oh. which is like at the time it was the most an actress has been nominated without winning. Well, and like during that time period I know a lot of actors felt like that they didn't win when they did win they didn't win for roles that they thought they should have won for yeah like I know when um John Wayne got his he was like I feel like I got this because I'm dying and not because we still do that though it's like Leo Dio should have gotten an Academy Award a long time ago but you know it's that it's that who are you up against is the person you're up against like more likely to win this year or whatever there's a lot of politics yeah there's a lot of politics but, um, and people still saw Leo Dio for the longest time as a heartthrob, but I know that's a side story. <laughs> uh, it was also nominated for Best Picture, like you said, Best Actress, and Best Director, Best Cinematography. And there was an animated musical, which I've never seen. It was released in 1999, but mm-hmm. if you guys have seen it, tell us about it. <laughs> there's a I'm, lot of rendi- renditions curious. of it, because there there's, there's like three, I think, non-musical adaption films of this. Yeah, there's the one that Jodie Foster jo- Yeah, it's was Anna in. and the King. Yeah. Yeah. I know, because when I kept trying to look up differences between the two, that's what they kept showing me was the musical and Anna and the King. I'm like, no, that's not what I'm asking you. Um, but this mu- movie really, like, the takeoff from it more than anything else was its music and the soundtrack, because the soundtrack went, like, viral for, if it was today's standards, like, it went viral. Right. It was topping the charts for three years. Um, I wrote those down. It was 1950. Six, seven, and eight. It but they cut the out Top Ten Solo, which I was so bummed about. I really, I mean, well, they she's added, my favorite character. For the soundtrack, they added back in three of the songs. I'm trying to think if, it, if any of them were her solo. I know, but I know they add, I think it was one of the ones that they added in for the my soundtrack. Lord and Master. Yeah, but they I added in my Lord and Master. Um, but I, I liked dreamed. it in, in the in the play. Well. You know, sometimes mistakes happen. <laughs> sometimes people remove things you like. I mean, also, I think a large number of the of the music was removed in general because they didn't have the people singing their own songs. And so, like, Deborah Kerr, I think they took out a good number of songs that she sings because they were like... But I also think it was for time because I, I was reading somewhere well, yeah. that, you know, if they felt that this song was expendable or this song didn't help further the character, they would just take well, yeah, I mean, it out. when you're already... The cut's already two hours and right. 10 or 13 minutes, whatever it is. And if they kept all those songs in, then we would have had a three-hour-long movie. Right. And, it, you know, it, it would sometimes it does make it feel drawn out in a film when you add too much in. Because you're just... It right. doesn't translate as well as it does in the It's just production. interesting to me that they chose... That they were, they were looking to be time-conservative, I suppose, when, you know, you have... Um, it's not necessarily the history of film to be time conservative. Like, think of Gone with the Wind is like three and a half hours long. Yeah. And that was in 1949, I think. I think it was 1949. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. But, like, you, you look at the history of film and you have these, like, epic, long movies. And all of a sudden they're suddenly like, oh, we got to do this for time. Which is interesting because... Then they had to go back and reshoot, and they decided they wanted to add stuff, and so it, they just wasted like I something like four hundred thousand dollars doing reshoots because yep. they were trying to be too time conservative. <laughs> it's the backwards way of the film industry, right? Right. We over uh, like bleeding money when you can. <laughs> 
Well, and it is like sometimes like, you know, especially with musicals, because it is hard to adapt them sometimes to a movie when, and they try and sometimes it works really well and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. But you like you take out these songs that people have grown and to know and love and they want those songs and they're people that have never known the theater show maybe come and watch it and they're fine with it because they don't know that that song's missing. But to you, it's something you grew up with. It's something that you've grown to love and you're like where where, why is my favorite song taken out right and then when they especially when they add other things in like you said like then you just feel cheated because you're like they took out something that i love and they put in something that doesn't matter because it wasn't in the show but there is something i appreciated though about uh seeing this as a movie if we're talking about the difference between like stage and film it's the moving shots you have these, at the dinner party, you have this shot of him starting in one room, following him, following him, following him into the dining hall, and then you have this, like, big wide shot of the table. So you have these moments that you can, these moments that you can do, these moving shots. Um, the same thing when she first comes in, um, to see him in the ballroom area, I guess it is, mm-hmm. or the throne room, um, and she sort of is at one end and he's at the other and then they move together and then they move over to the side. It's this beautiful choreography with the camera that you can't, you're limited to on stage that Mm -hmm. I felt that they made good use of for this film. And that's what you kind of have to do when you're making a a movie up based off a musical. You have to figure out what you can do that will add to it that it can't be done on stage because that's what's going to make people like it is because if I'm just watching basically the same thing that's on stage but you've taken out things or added things in that I didn't want then I'm going to be a lot more upset that if than if you like made it something different that I couldn't see on stage. Right. I feel like the Rent movie does that, which we'll talk about where Rent's coming up next. Yes. So we'll be able to talk about that in the next couple of weeks. Yes. Uh, there's there's actually quite a few movie musicals that I think do a really good job of it. And then there's a few that I think do a very terrible job. Right. right? <laughs> there's some of them where you were like, no, this was just better on stage. I don't know what you're doing. Um. But I do know, and I know we started a little late today, but we are running low on time. So I'm going to say that that's about it for our discussion of the movie, unless you have anything you wanted to add before we end that and move into our news section. No, the only thing I want to add is what struck me when I was watching the movie, um, the moment that struck me was when he says, and again, this has to do with like filming on a set. I don't think he's, I, there's no like, difference on the set between you're in the library and you're over here so they want to move him from the library when he's dying and he says no I want to be in here in the room with the knowledge um and that just like I was like oh this is he wants so much for his his country to be like full of these like scientists and and um learned people and I just really love that and I respected that and it's not a moment again that you can have um, on stage because you'd have to wheel in like bookcases to show that this is where you are, you mm-hmm. know? So, yeah, I mean, I loved his characters of evolution throughout the film. Like, you know, and it, and I think it paid, played true to real life where some things he didn't really change on because you don't just magically become this whole new person. That's like, yes, everything that I've been saying is wrong, right. but he did like accept faults when he could. And then, right. And of course I would love to have more, I would love to have actual Asian actors playing those roles, but this being Hollywood at the time, they just did not do that. And thankfully, they're getting better these days about mm-hmm. understanding that people will come see you regardless. Regardless, you know. Um, but yeah, so 
we'll end it there for the for the movie of the king and I. Um, and I, if it's I know it's in I think Cleveland right now. I don't know where it's going next. But if you guys get a chance to go to the tour, I didn't get a chance to see it unfortunately, but Jackie did and. Everyone I know that saw it said it's amazing, so definitely take time and go see that if you can. Um, but so moving on to our news, I'm going to start with a couple videos that we posted just because they happened. Yeah. <laughs> so at the Super because Bowl. Because they happened and they're great. So at the, we talked a lot last week about the Super Bowl, and I was mistaken because I thought the Skylar sisters were performing during halftime, but they weren't. They were performing um, in the beginning singing America the Beautiful, right? Yes. So we have a video of them singing that at the Super Bowl before, to start kind of off. So, you know, you can incorporate theater in the Super Bowl. You can love sports. I think Lady Gaga's super theatrical, too. So I, yeah. I felt like with the entertainment part of the Super Bowl, I was pleased. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountains. Above the fruited plain, America, America, God shed His grace on thee, shed His grace and crown thy good with brotherhood, sisterhood. From sea to shining sea, from sea to shining sea, to shining sea. I love it. It's just harmonizing. It's just yeah. It's just them proving that they're extremely good at what they do. And I like that it gave Peggy a little bit more of a part that she gets. I mean, I know she's also another part in that show. I always show, feel but... like, uh, it, did you ever see the, the SNL skit with, like, the sisters and then Kristen Wiig plays that one with, like, the big forehead and the ba- mm-hmm. baby hands and she's like, and I'm doing. Like, I always feel like Peggy was given that role. And, and it's just, unfortunately, because you... she clearly has an amazing voice and Well, she's I mean, that's why I'm actress. glad that at least she gets to come back in the second act as a different character. Right. But it's just like when you're listening to that song and they're just, like, singing. You, like, feel Peggy. like, right. I feel like <laughs> Peggy got the Duleen role. And I'm like, why is Peggy Duleen? Can we give Peggy a little bit of something, something else? Yeah, so I'm glad. Like, I like seeing the herd there and getting to see her portray her voice yeah. more so, along with her sisters. Right. Um, and then our second one, we put it up on our Twitter and our Facebook, but I did want it for those of you that maybe haven't seen it yet. If you're living under a rock, because I think everyone's seen it, but uh, they released Jake Gyllenhaal singing Finishing the Hat, or he released it to his Facebook. So we're going to play that video for you guys as well. This is a little kind of first taste of what is to come. I want Jake Gyllenhaal to do musical movies. Why is he not doing that, Jake Gyllenhaal? Well, they're remaking Little Shop of Horrors. He did already play Seymour. He's kind of I old, know. I guess, <laughs> to play that. So. Let's try from the top, everybody. Here we go. I don't know. Rick Moranis. How old is Rick Moranis when he played That's him? That's true. He wasn't that young. Or Rick Moranis always looks old to me, even when he's supposed to be young. Like, someone posted like that he made his Broadway debut in this, and I was like, no, he was in Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. So. Looks for me. Bonnet flapping, yapping, 
roast, chicken, pastry. Yes, she looks for me. Good. Let her look for me and tell me why she left me, as I always knew she would. I had thought she understood. And I love this moving they shot. I always love moving it's shots. It's very like I feel like I'm watching a film right now. Yeah. Even with the shadowings coming down off the stairs. Jake Gyllenhaal do a musical movie. <laughs> Finishing oh, maybe they'll make Sunday in the Park with Georgia film. Yes. Okay. How you have to finish the hat. How you watch the rest of the world. It's just so funny because listening to this song, it just reminds me so much of Into the Woods. I was just gonna say that it really does. I, mean, I know they're both Stephen songs. Oh, right. What it feels like planning a sky. What you feel when voices that come through the window. Go until they distance and die. Until so this is why he's like in such good shape. Look at how many stairs he has to go. <laughs> he's doing that every day, singing, walking up and down the stairs. The yeah, that's a great way. Yeah. You gotta to practice singing. Yeah, find a way to exercise what you do. Why not? The kind that you want to find waiting to return you to the night. Dizzy from the I do Aww, feel like he this... should have been in the Into the Woods movie. He would have, yeah, he would have been good in that. Um, I feel like this style of singing suits his voice a lot better than when I heard him in Little Shop of Horrors, though. Yeah. Reaching to the world of the hat like a yeah, I feel like he's more of a ballad kind of yeah. guy than a you know, something staccato and everything. So. Studying a face, stepping back to look at a face. They should do Bubble Boy the musical so he can like reprise that role, but that would then be make amazing. it a musical. I'm down. Somebody oh, give me a piece of the credit for that. I, I thought you were going to say Donnie Darko and sort of Bubble Boy. You thought I was going to say something reasonable and sensible, which is not what I was going to say. My favorite Jake Gyllenhaal movie is Bubble Boy, and you are free to judge me. There's nothing wrong with that. Bubble Boy is awesome. Mine's October Sky, and you know what? I would totally go see an October Sky musical. That you could take Neil with you, he'll just well. cry with you the entire time. <laughs> just every movie you've ever made, Jake, just turn it into a musical and redo it. Donnie Darko the musical would be good, too, I feel. Yeah. Because I want to see that like weird, creepy bunny character like dancing around in between numbers. <laughs> it could happen. I just want it to have its own song. That's true. The bunny has its own yeah. song. You guys tweet at us, you know, tweet at uh, the Broadway at Broadway Be Down and let us know what movie that hasn't been made into a musical that you would like to see be made into a musical. Um, So, yeah, he's good. That's going to be a great performance. If you get a chance and if you're in New York to go see that, I know it's like a 10 week engagement, but I think based off that, it's worth going. So exactly. Um, I want to go over a couple more stories before we have to end it here. Um, For anyone that's interested for a cabaret or is coming to their town, we're going to have a new MC and Sally Bowles. Uh, Sally Bowles actually already did take over, uh, and that's Leanne Larkin, who is best known for recently for playing Gypsy at uh, Dainty June and Gypsy. Uh, she took over on February 7th. And then John Peterson, who's also been, he's played the MC before for Roundabout, will be t- taking over the MC starting on February 21st. That musical is in Chicago right now, and that's moving to Milwaukee on February 23rd. So definitely check it out. We both saw it while it was here. It's a great production. So good. 
so good. Yeah, it's definitely worth going to see. Um, some random news. Andrew Lloyd Webber released a free emoji pack based off his musicals. Um, so we'll I put need the to link- check that out. Yeah, we'll put the link up you, you to download it. But yeah, if you want some, you know, cats or Phantom of the Opera I emojis. I am so going to use Phantom of the Opera emojis. <laughs> so those are half free. mask, half mask, half mask. We keep pushing that button. They're free, and uh, yeah, so you know, go check out Andrew Lloyd Webber's free emojis and download them for your phone, so you can just tweet random different things at people. Or I'm just gonna text. I'm just gonna text you a bunch of cats, just a bunch of cats. <laughs> and I'm just gonna be like, "Are these delicate for you? I are they? Just are say they something like that?" I'm totally on board with this, though. I think more. Let's have more composers yeah. make emoji packs. Yeah, just so I don't have to type. I mean, ever. where are the Hamilton emoji packs? Yeah, I don't want to have that to type ever. Me. I just want to tell you exactly what's going on in my life through musical emojis. Right, exactly. Um, just don't use the Sweeney Todd one. Oh Jesus! <laughs> knife, knife, knife! What are you trying to say to me? I'm saying you're killer. <laughs> uh, the pun. Um, Amy Poehler is working on a dark comedy. For HBO, it's going to be entitled uh, Ed Edison. It's going to star John Roberts, who is currently the voice of Linda Belker. I, you watch Bob's Burgers, Alexis. Am I saying that right? Belker? No, she's not there right now. Um, but I don't watch it either. Linda, I would... Linda on Bob's Burgers, he does the voice for her. Uh, but he's going to be starring in it, and he co-wrote it. It's based loosely on his own life. It's going to follow him, and he's a 40-year-old real estate broker who dreams of living life in the big city but remains stuck in his small hometown of Edison, New Jersey. Interesting. Yeah. It does sound interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, it's going to be interesting to see how they incorporate the songs into it. Yeah. If it's going to be something where it's like Glee, where they just start singing and everyone knows they're singing, or is it like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, where it's in his head? Right. But I'm, I, I, I'm happy they're doing like a dark comedy, because I, I like those kind of darker songs, too. And Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, I love it, and they do have dark songs, but it is much more comedy-based. Well, that's why I liked the... Glee started to get away from that, but in the first season of Glee, it was pretty darn dark, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed that. So that's, I don't know when that, they don't have a date yet for that, maybe next season, I'm not sure, but definitely check that out, it seems interesting, and Amy Poehler, I know, ha- is a big musical lover, so I think she'll do a good job translating that. Um, Freaky Friday released their digital recording of their soundtrack nice. uh, on the 10th. The physical CDs will be available starting March 17th. Um, that music was written by... Uh, Tom Kitt and Brian Yorkie, who wrote for Next to Normal, which I love the music in Next to Normal, but I don't know, like it seemed it's very different from like Freaky Friday, like story wise, but right. I'm interested to hear it. I haven't listened to it yet, but that's available anywhere digitally that you can find it right now. And then, like I said, the CDs will become available March 17th. Um, BuzzFeed did name it the sh- uh, one of the best musicals of 2016. So definitely check that out. Let us know what you guys think of that music, what your favorite song maybe is from it. Um, and the last bit of thing I have is that there is going to be a Cruel Intentions pop-up premiere in NYC. Cruel Intentions was at the Rockwell here in LA. So freaking good. And I didn't get a chance to see it, but I heard from multiple people. It was amazing. And the Rockwell does hear what they do. Uh, they do this unauthorized musical parodies, which are becoming huge. So they use songs, right, that are songs that already exist yeah and and for cruel intentions a lot of the songs they use are from the actual like soundtrack um the like, cruel intentions soundtrack which is so good and then they used uh musicals from the time period like there's a there's a 
gay number to a I think it's an in it's either an in sync or a backstreet no it's a backstreet boy song the you are my fire oh, nice. yeah so they I mean just think like Moulin Rouge like what Moulin Rouge did that's kind I'll of tweet like out, I I saw it and I'll I'll tweet out of the Broadway account some of the songs that um they had there so you guys can get a taste yeah. of that and like they already had one performance yesterday on February 11th the next two performances they're only doing three are on the 13th and 14th it's at Les Poisson Rouge which is at 158 Bleecker Street. It'll be at 8 p.m. Tickets are going for $39 to $59. Um, and you can buy those at LPR.com or at the Le Poisson Rouge box office. So two more shows of that. Check it out. Let us know how it is. If you were in L.A. and saw it and you have the chance to go see it in New York, like maybe see if it was different or what changes have made about it. But, yeah, it should be fun to go see. And unauthorized, they have they have it in Vegas now, too. Oh, they? So they have a Boz one in Vegas, oh, which cool. was their first one that they did. You guys, it's that stuff is going to be so big, you know. It's it's, so it's good. like it's already it's huge here. Yeah. So it's I definitely think that that's going to be. We're still going to have traditional musicals, but we're definitely going to be seeing more of these kind of things too. I'm gonna get. They're doing Mean Girls um, now, mm-hmm. so I'm going to be going to see that in the next couple weeks. Yeah. So um, definitely check those things out. Let us know. Um, like we always say, if you want us to do anything, please let us know and tell us what shows you want. Which see. musicals you want to see? Not just do anything. Yeah. That is, <laughs> we'll have to draw the line. <laughs> draw the line in <laughs> some places. Uh, where can they find you on those time, Jackie? One, two, three, Jackie B on all platforms. And you guys can find me at bfips14 also Broadway Beatdowns our Twitter page Broadway Breakdowns our Facebook page and next week we will be doing Rent the Theater show so definitely stay tuned and watch us then and we will see you next week from producers Maria Menounos Kevin Undergaro Phil Svitek and the entire Popcorn Talk Network we would like to thank you for tuning in For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only, not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.